0: to the MWC Church podcast. MWC Church is a place where you can belong, believe, and become the person God's created you to be. Thanks for joining us online. Hey, so we're in a powerful and integral series right now. Everything that we preach from the pulpit has a purpose. We never just have a, a, a throwaway series. This isn't just an in-between for Christmas and, and, and Thanksgiving, the, the holidays we, where we attract more people because that's just the nature of it all. This, this is important. We're talking about the armor of God. We've been spending our time looking at, at the climactic conclusion of Paul's masterful letter, his masterful epistle to the church in Ephesus in, Math, in Eph, Ephesians chapter 6. Starting in verse 10, he he concludes his entire series. He started off the, the, the book or the letter, if you will, the first three chapters were all about theology, the ways you should think about God. And then the, the chapters three, four, and five, or four, five, and six are all about your, the, the ways you should live, right? So it's, it's a perfect balance, half and half of, of good orthodoxy, good teaching, good theology, and, and orthopraxy, good practice and practical living. And, and then he says, if you're going to do all of this successfully, it's not going to be in your strength. He says this in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. He says, finally, in conclusion to all of the deep theological truths you've heard and all of the the practical ways that we should be living as Christians, finally, if you're going to accomplish that stuff, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. And the reason why I'm adding emphasis to those words is because I want us to see how the entire emphasis for our, the the entire recipe for our uh, success is dependent on him. It's his power, it's his might, it's his armor. And he tells us to do this one thing, the Apostle Paul, he says this, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen, if you are fully equipped with the armor of God, if you are standing in his might and in his power, you will be able, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will be able to stand against the schemes of the evil one. So he says that. And, and, and I want to just bring emphasis to that because we live in a culture, and, I, and I've heard sermons on the armor of God, and they're so fiery, and, and there's nothing wrong with fiery. I love fiery and excitement, but but they really put all of the emphasis and the attention and the focus on our ability to fight. They, they say, you're going to beat the devil up, and you're going to punch him and slap him and hit him upside of his head with the King James Version of the Bible, right? Like, like, it's all on us. Like, we're going to battle. We're fighting the enemy. It's, it's all on you. It's all on you, and, and it's meant to be one of those rallying cries, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with, with being hyped up and, po- and empowered, like, as long as your power comes from the Lord and not from yourself. We live in a culture where they emphasize you more than you should be emphasized, where every story, every tale, every Instagram story, it's all about me, 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 and, 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 and I love you, and I think you're a powerful, awesome person who has a calling on your life, But when it comes to the spiritual battle against darkness, it can't be about you. It can't be about your power and your strength and your ability to muster up some ferocity and some some fight in you. Listen, you can't. When I was growing up in youth group, there was a song that we sang. It was, uh, I forget the, the name of it, but I know it went like, and I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. Right, like, like it's one of those like, and everybody's like clapping offbeat, like not like white clapping where it's like, uh-uh-uh-uh, but like, uh, mm, 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 mm. like it's really good. Like, man, I wish we, I wish we had some. Never mind. Let's just keep going. Some good clapping in this church. Um, I'm praying for that, Lord. Bring, bring us some good clappers, Lord. Bring us, bring us some good clappers. But, I, but we grew up with that song, and it was, it was fun, it was exciting, it was youth group, and we'd be like, I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. And uh, some of you are ready, some of you already go to church, but can I, can I just say something? That song is horrible theology, <laughs> horrible. Listen, you can't go to the enemy's camp. Like, the only time you went to the enemy's camp was when you were in bondage to the enemy. When you were fighting on his side, you can't go to the enemy and steal something because you freely gave it to him. You were lost in your sin and transgressions. You were dead. You were working for him before you knew Jesus. There was only one who went to the enemy's camp and it was Christ and he he put a whooping on Satan. So when we talk about spiritual warfare, the foundation, the premise isn't with us, it's with Jesus. It's not us, it's Jesus. It's him, he went to the enemy's camp. He put the team on his shoulders, and he brought us victory. When we go to battle against sin, it is not to capture any new ground. When you and I are are in this spiritual battle that we see clearly articulated here in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 6, this spiritual battle is is not one for us to advance the line. Do you get what I'm saying? Think back to guerrilla warfare, um, World War I where they were all lined up and, and they would take steps forward. And, and when you would ask who is winning the war, they would pull out a map and they would look at, at the lines and, and who has more territory. And whoever had the most territory was winning the war. Listen. We don't capture. We can't capture any ground. There is no more ground left to capture. Jesus has captured it all in the spiritual realm. He has won the victory. He has won the battle. And the only reason why he hasn't completely inaugurated his kingdom here on earth is because he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. But but Satan is operating on borrowed time. He is so prideful and arrogant that he still thinks he can win. But he has already lost. He's been defeated. So we fight from the victory of Jesus, and he tells us this. He doesn't say advance the line. He says hold the line. I'll give you everything. You stare the enemy in the face, and I have brought you this far. You just stand there in my power and my might with my armory, and you will be victorious. So we're not duking it out with Satan or duking it out with Satan, but it's in the power of Christ. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is our foundation. It's Jesus, Jesus who? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So we stand our ground. I love this. Let I me mean, just look what the scriptures say about Christ being the victor. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 and 58. But thank God. Everybody say, thank God. thank God. But thank God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our hard work, through our efforts, through our abilities to beat ourselves up every time we fail and mess up. no. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and what? Immovable. <laughs> I shake to you. they are like, Pastor, you've been preaching strong, great, just all, yeah, strong and immovable. Don't move. Don't, don't, don't leave. Don't, don't secede the victory I've given you. Don't you dare give him line, don't you dare give up any territory. You just need to stand there where I've taken you. Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Colossians 2:13 and 15 says this. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Look at this. Look at the amount of times that Paul, as he's writing to this church, he says the words he, the emphasis on God, the emphasis on Jesus. He canceled the record. He canceled the record. What is it? The record of the charges against us. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Jesus has brought us victory. Do you guys, has anyone ever watched the, uh, the movie Sandlot? The story of, of, you know, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, right? Like... Uh, or my favorite, I mean, every, my favorite personal, line, actually my favorite scene is when he kisses that that uh that lifeguard. That was just awesome. The eight-year-old of me was like, yes, you know. Uh, but then I grew up and I was like, this is really creepy and weird, and you can get arrested for that. <laughs> Don't do that. But they got married, so it's fine. Um, but do you remember the part when when, when Smalls? Uh, was was trying to to make friends and, and Benny the Jet Rodriguez, just this cool kid who is an incredible baseball player. He 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 goes to Smalls and and Smalls is just as awkward, can't good for nothing. Like like he can't even play baseball and like you hold you swing you you swing your bat like a girl right like which is a horrible offense today but. Um. So, so Smalls is not, he, man, he is not athletically endowed, he can't do much, but Benny the Jet Rodriguez, because he's trying to bring him into the crowd, and uh, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, there's a gospel story there somewhere, there's a, there's a grand narrative being told there, like, Benny the Jet Rodriguez is Jesus, you and I are Smalls, right? Well, anyway, he, he, goes, he goes to Smalls and says, just go out into center field, and stick your hand up in the air with your glove on. Even though you're wearing your silly base or your silly uh, fishing hat that has a bill that goes out to here, just stick your hand out there. You're not prepared for this. Or you, don't, you don't have the ability. You don't have the, 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 the physique. You can't do anything, but just, just, just put your hand out and, and stick your glove up in the air, and, and I'll take care of the rest. So Benny the Jet Rodriguez throws a pop-up and hits it out there, and, and Smalls is like, please catch, it, please catch it, please catch it, please catch it, please catch it, and he catches the ball. Everybody's like, yeah, this guy's cool, but nowhere in, like, how silly would it have been if Smalls would have caught it and been like, I'm the greatest, I can do all things, it's all about me, I'm the best. We'd be like, dude, you didn't do anything. Just like Smalls, catching the ball because of, I mean, he was just obedient to what Benny the Jet Rodriguez said, stick your hand up, just listen to me, trust me, I'll take care of the rest. Christ has done that. Trust me, believe in me. I'll take care of the rest. That sin issue that we are all born into, that, that you have tried to, to, to wrestle with, I'll take care of it. Just trust me. And he's taken care of that perfectly. Does anybody know who Adrian, uh, Adrian Clem is? I'm looking at the only Patriots fan that I know. Adrian Clem is a, or was a starting tackle for the New England, I don't know, he wasn't a starting, he was a tackle for the New England, New England Patriots, um, and he holds three Super Bowl rings. He has three Super Bowl rings, but he never played a snapped football in the playoffs or the Super Bowl. You and I, friends, are Adrian Clem when it comes to our salvation, Jesus took care of it all. We were just on the bench like, yeah, we did it. <laughs> like, high fives all around. Right? We just believe, right? Like, like, like that Seriously, that's, it's what we did. Um, I say all this not to make you feel like dirt. That's not my heart. I, my, my only hope is to humble us a little bit. This world tells us that it's, it, it's, if you fight hard enough and if you, if you push yourself hard enough, you will do this and you will accomplish this. And, and, and listen, I was, I was the biggest victim to that. Um, grew up in a, in, a, in a household where very hard work ethic, Like I, I love my, my, my parents, they, they taught me drive and commitment and being a man of your word and integrity and, and you outwork everybody and, and you go to class and you stay late, you show up early, you ask questions and you have the honor and you don't blame people and you don't say that it's their fault for your situation, you take ownership, like I love my family for that but you know what, that same ethic, as great as it is for work, is not the truth with salvation we have to come to the realization that there's nothing we can do. We are dead in our sins. We need Jesus. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter two, before this Ephesians six narrative, he says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. When you believed. And and I'm not just saying adopting a, a, a moral code or adopting certain theology, but Simply, when you turn from your personal beliefs and you turn towards truth and said, I am a sinner, I am dead in my transgressions, I I cannot go to the Father in my own volition, I need Jesus. When you simply believe that God raised him from the dead and that, that he is Lord and Savior, Master and Savior, and that you are not the captain of your own ship and you give the reins over to Christ, when you believe, he said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. Hmm. I believe Paul said that. There's a little hmm in the Greek there. Um, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Thank you, Lord. What do you do with gifts? You receive them. If you don't pay for them, then it's not a gift. You bought it. Right? You, you, you don't say, I'll get you next week. That's not really a gift. If there's strings attached, he says, I gi- I've given you a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. What we boast about in our salvation is Jesus. Look what he did, I wasn't deserving of this. It takes a lot of humility to say, it's not, I did nothing for this. And you know what happens when you start from that premise in, in, in the work of your salvation? When you see people lost in their sins, you're no longer judging them because you realize you were there too. When you see someone who claims to be a believer and they're not living right, you don't put your nose up and be like, "I can't believe they're living that way! Oh my gosh!" You can't do that because you were there too. If anything, it encourages you to throw an arm over them and say, "Let me, let's work on this together. Let me help you. I'm not perfect, but but Jesus is. Let's let's let's, let's get closer to Him. Let's do this. Knuckles, right, and get knuckles all around. Like that, that's that's the purpose of the church." We don't judge people here. We believe in belonging. You belong here, and we're all in process. Me too. We're all in the process of being sanctified and made holy and being made more and more in the image of Christ, our Savior, right? So Paul is trying to get that across in this passage, that Jesus is our victory. And and here's the kicker. Let's keep reading that. He says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast. What? Look what he says, for we are God's masterpiece. He's painted us, sculpted us, did everything that he needed to do to make us his perfect workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. How many of you are thankful that you are a new creation? That he has given you a new heart, new desires, new hopes, new ambitions. It's him, him, him. And I've never been the happier. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do what? The good things. If you think we just sit around and enjoy this salvation like a trophy on the wall, nope. It is a trophy, and we do put it on the wall, but we carry this wall, we carry it around with us, and we're like, I'm gonna go do some good things because it's empowered me to do this. We don't just sit around and continue to live in sin because he's brought, no, 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 we don't do that. This is our power to live in righteousness. Because my salvation is not brought to me by good works, and it's brought to me by grace, I now use his grace to do good works. Does that make sense? Because my salvation wasn't brought about good works, It was brought about by grace. I now use His grace to empower me to do good works. That's that's putting the horse after before the cart. Uh, Let's 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 not use that one. I just keep going. But He's created us in You in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. What are the good things? Yes, they're good, good works, but I'm going to say in the context of this Ephesians narrative, he kind of speaks to that, alludes to that in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says this, when he tells us that we are to put on the armor of God. One of the best things we can do, one of the, the goodest things we can do, I'm just going to say that, the goodest things we can do, tweet this, is put on the armor of God. Don't tweet it, please. They're going to be like, your pastor doesn't even have good grammar. So we are called to stand firm. That's one of the best things we can do. Stand firm. Stand firm. Look at your neighbor and say, stand firm. firm. How do we stand? We put on the armor of God. He talks about the belt of truth, right? We believe in this church that there is objective, moral truth, that there is objective not based on my emotions or feelings or my culture or society, but based on something, someone higher who's created it all, that there is a truth that supersedes my context culturally, emotionally. It is objective, and it's, it comes from Jesus. Jesus. We believe that the belt of truth, that truth, the belt of truth holds all things together. Without the belt of truth, you can't hold any other armor piece. If you're not wearing the belt of truth, your pants are going to fall down. If you're not wearing the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness is going to shift and probably flip over. If, if you don't wear the belt of truth, you can't latch on the sword of the spirit. You need the belt of truth. Our foundation is truth, and it's not just moral truth. It is spiritual truth as well, and it comes in the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus says this, I am the way the and the life Jesus is our belt of truth so we attach Jesus we believe that he is our absolute and objective truth that we can look at our situation our context our culture and say there is a higher truth doesn't mean we have to be jerks about it right can can I just say that really quick When you hold the truth and you understand that you only know the truth because of salvation and the grace that God has given you, that the truth doesn't belong to you, that you didn't dig it up and find it and say, look what I found, it's never been found before. No, but you discovered something that God has put there. You no longer get prideful about being right and you're able to walk with people even though they are in error and be humble and gentle. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3.15, it says to, to be ready always to give a, 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 a defense for the faith that is in you, but do so with gentleness and kindness. This is our calling. We have truth, but we bring it gently and with kindness. We put on the breastplate of righteousness, a second piece. Our righteousness comes from Christ. We talked about that. It's, it's all about Jesus. Our, our righteousness guards our heart. Pastor Kenny did a great job last week um, just talking about that passage and teaching that passage. But today, I want to spend our concluding moments in this. I want to talk about the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Um, really quickly, I want to just tell you a, a story. When I was a kid, I, um, you guys remember in the 90s, there were these... these um, these uh, media stories about people's shoes getting stolen, like if you're wearing Jordans. Uh, listen, I, let's just have a counseling moment. Counsel your pastor for a second. I am the victim of not one but two encounters where my shoes were stolen right off my feet and I had to walk home barefoot. Yeah, sad. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A lot better than Saturday night. Saturday night, I was like, ha,, ah, <laughs> yeah, you stink. And Sunday, you're like, oh, pastor. No, I was. I, I was the victim of, of uh, listen, you don't know paranoia until you got your shoes stolen. <laughs> like, you're just like looking over every corner, like, who's stealing my shoes? My wife says I'm paranoid. Every time we go to, to, to dinner or, or ever eat at a restaurant, I always choose to sit with my back facing a wall and uh, I, I just want to know my surroundings. And, 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 I, and I told her, I was like, listen, that's not paranoia. Paranoia is rooted in fear. I'm just ready, Katie. If something's about to go down, I'm ready, Katie. Like, you don't understand. I, I got my shoes stolen. You know, like, I, I'm ready, Katie. And uh, so I always tell her, like, I'm not paranoid. I'm not paranoid. And I'm not. I'm not. I trust the Lord. But i uh, to the shoes that I got stolen. The first one was the uh, I got a picture that the Jumpman, um, Air Jordan Jumpman Team Ones like those were awesome. That those were the exact same color, those were legit. I love those. Um, 1996, uh, the one of the original ones, like so they, they have remakes of those, but the 96 version was awesome. They had the let's just keep going. Um, so, um, the next shoe that I that I had stolen were my LA Gear LA Lights those things were awesome. Yes, come on. Give the Lord some praises for you. Yes. The LA Gear, LA Lights, man, I love those. I would stay out so late. My mom's like, hey, you need to come home when it's dark. And I'm like, okay, mom. I put those shoes on. And I'm like, it's not dark. And I'm just like stomping around. Like, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, those, those got, I, I don't know if those, they, those technically didn't get stolen. I think I left those at Burger King. Uh, I think someone else was like, oh, these must be my shoes. And they left. And I was like, I guess these are my shoes now. <laughs> and I think we swapped. Um, so, or maybe they stole them and they were, kind, and they left me another pair. Who knows? Um, But yeah, those are the two shoes that I had stolen. But the reason I've had my shoes stolen is because growing up, I had awesome shoe game. Seriously, I had awesome shoe game. I still have, to this day, more shoes than my wife. I I don't care if you judge me for it. I got better shoe game than my wife. You guys are clapping. Like, yeah, yeah, you do, Pastor. Our pastor got shoe game. Um, shoe game. What do I mean by shoe game? Shoe game is, is what you use to kind of compare your level of ability to move, mo- mobilize your, your, sh- your credibility with shoes compare, in comparison to another person, right? Your shoe game is, is, is how many shoes you got. And you say, my shoe game is better than your shoe game, right? The reason I had my shoes stolen was because I had some great shoe game. That's, that's looking at life with, you know, like optimistically, Got this stolen because my shoe game is so good, right? My question for you this morning, in light of our passages, is how's your shoe game? Are you putting on the shoes of the gospel of peace? How's your shoe game this morning? It tells us, look what it says in this passage. I just want to read verse 15. It says this, so we can bring up the whole Ephesians 6 text, but I want to read in the NLT. It says, for shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. The ESV version of the Bible says this, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and the NASB says this, and having shod, everybody say shod, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That word shod is something we don't use. We don't live in an agricultural society. But the word shod was literally what they, what they would do to uh, horses as they attach the horseshoe. When you attach a horseshoe to a horse, you are saying that this is not gonna be easily removed. Like right now, I can literally kick my feet in the air and my shoes would come off. But a horse could not kick his feet and lose his horseshoe. They would have to nail that in there and it would go through like the, the nail of their hoof and it would stay attached. Paul is saying we attach the gospel to our feet much in the same way a horse has a horseshoe attached to them. It is not easily taken off. We don't optionally say, there are some things of the gospel that I hold to and some things that I don't. It is not an option. We, we hold on, but I want to give us just really quick application, three, three practical functions of the shoes of the gospel. When I say the gospel, I mean the good news. The reality that you and I were dead in our sins, we were utterly, terribly destroyed in darkness, and Christ Jesus came to us, lifted us up. All we simply did was believe and set us up in a place of righteousness. Paul says, for God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin. On the cross, he took on the sins of the world to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel in a nutshell. We use the good news of the gospel and we shod that to our lives, to our feet, and we say, This is not an option. This is our everything. We wake up in the morning and we wake up with the gospel already on our feet. But really quick, three things that we need to understand about the function of the gospels, of the shoes, the shoes of the gospel. The first thing is that the gospel, when it's attached to our feet in the armor of God, it gives us greater. Mobility. Everybody say mobility. You see, the Roman soldier that Paul was using to illustrate the shoes of the gospel of peace, he understood that that was the fastest army the world had ever seen. They put on these sandals, and on the bottom of these sandals, there were these nails that were... Hammered into the sole of the shoe and it would give them traction, the ability when they were in hand-to-hand combat to dig in and not move or if they were hiking, they would go over rough terrain and their army would be faster than any other army. When Paul is looking at that, he is saying, listen, friends, If we are going to put on the armor of God for our feet, we need to put on the shoes of the gospel and understand that we need to be mobile with the gospel. It's not something that we take and hide it under a bushel. We don't take the gospel and say, this is just for me, for my personal relationship with Jesus. But we are called to be mobile with the gospel. We are called to carry it everywhere we go. It's attached to us. It's not something we can leave at home. If you walk out of the house with your shoes on, you're like, I better go back inside and put my shoes on. It's cold out here, right? The gospel is the same thing. It is called to be mobile with us. Every time you see Jesus teach on the gospel, it always has a emphasis of mobility. Whenever he says our mandate to to, to preach the gospel, look what he says. He says this in Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, what is this word? I want you to look at it, Matthew 28. It says, therefore, go and make disciples be mobile. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mark's version of the the Great Commission, as we call it, is this. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Can I say this? Let me ask this. Am I the only one in this church that wears the shoes of the gospel when paul was giving the armor of god was he only speaking to pastors yes or no no he wasn't he was speaking to all of us so if we put on the shoes of the gospel of peace and we are called to be mobile whose responsibility is it to preach the gospel all of ours now i'm not saying you're gonna get up here and get a platform and preach and get a pulpit like that may not be the way you preach but you go to work and you see family on holidays and, and 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 there are people that you rub shoulders with on a daily weekly basis you are called to preach the gospel to them and not in a weird awkward way but in a way that is natural real stemmed from love and hopefully friendship concern and care for them but we are called to mobilize the gospel The second thing we are called to do with the gospel, the second thing that it does, we are called to be prepared and ready for action. Earlier, I mentioned how the Roman soldiers would have studs on the bottom of their of their boots, their sandals, and that would keep them prepared and ready for action. We are called to be just as prepared and ready for action, in season and out of season. When I'm feeling it, or if I'm not, we are called to be ready to bring the gospel into any situation, in any circumstance. It should always readily be available on our lips. When I was a child. And my mom told me that, hey, tomorrow we're going to wake up and go to an amusement park, which would happen maybe once a summer. Six Flags Great America. I love that place. The Raging Bull is my favorite ride. But when my mom would tell me, hey, we're going to Great America tomorrow, I'd go to bed the night before. And guess what? I'm wearing my shoes because I don't want to miss that ride. When my mom's like, all right, it's time to go. I'm, I'm ready, mom. I've been ready since like 8 o'clock last night. I haven't even showered. Like, I'm ready to go. I got my shoes on. I'm wearing my clothes. I want to sleep like this. I literally would sleep in my shoes because I wanted to be prepared and ready for that time when my mom would say, it's time to go. Listen, church, it's time to go. There is a world out there that needs the gospel. And yes, we can invite them to church and we can believe that they're going to get an accurate depiction, a spirit-filled depiction of what the gospel looks like in worship and proclaimed. But it's time for us to be mobile and to speak out. And I know what you're saying now, pastor, I'm afraid. Pastor, my life's not ready. Listen, there is a false narrative that tells you in order to preach the gospel, your life has to be perfect. Now, I'm I'm not saying hypocrisy is something we're looking for, but I am saying this. If you are waiting to share your testimony or or the gospel with someone until your life gets perfect or or better than where it is now can, can I just say that the Lord trains us on the job when we are on mission he begins to empower us now can can, can you study and get stronger and learn the word of God and not be and become more biblically literate absolutely you should But if you are waiting just for the right moment to start sharing the gospel, let me just say, friend, you will never get ready to share the gospel quite like you would if you were sharing the gospel. Because if if you are talking to someone and having conversation with them, and you're just like, oh, I need to get better and stronger, you are gonna get better and stronger. But we need to be mobile. We need to speak up. We need to carry. I love that the Bible doesn't say the the mouthpiece of the gospel. We're called to wear the gospel and take it Everywhere we go, everywhere. When you go to that car show, when you go to that game, when you go to the gym, when you go to class, when you're in your studies, when you're at the library, when you're at Dylan's, everywhere we go, we carry the gospel. And if you are someone who is terrified of sharing, can I tell you this? The third and final point: when we share the gospel, when we wear the gospels, the the gospel as shoes. We are given protection and peace. What do I, how, how do we know that? In Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 6, Jesus is sending, he's commissioning, sending his 12 disciples two by two. Look what he says here. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. And he allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Now, listen, shower, change your clothes. All right, this is just descriptive of what the Lord was saying there. I'm not saying don't don't bring any money. It's okay. But we need to learn from this that there should be an expediency in our hearts to share this. Why does he say don't bring a tunic, don't bring a change of clothes, don't bring money? Because all those details I'll work out. You just focus on the walking stick to allow you to get further and put on your shoes so that you can go longer but carry this message that I've given you. And you know what I love is that Jesus already went to those towns. He did all the heavy lifting. He's saying, now you just go two by two, accountability, friendship, partnership, go, and I've given you authority to cast out demons, but preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Verse nine, he allowed them to wear sandals but not take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned them to their fate. That sounds harsh. But two things I want us to see there. One, if someone rejects you as you are presenting the gospel truth, and if you're doing it lovingly, if you're doing it, intellectually and theologically sound, I think we should be studying and make sure we're prof- professing truth. If you've done your praying and you've, you're ready to go, I think we should do all those things. But if you're being faithful in the proclaiming of the gospel, which we all should be working towards, myself included, and someone rejects what I'm saying, they're not rejecting me. Jesus told them in those moments, if they, if they don't accept you, you just take, look at my socks. He said, you just take your, your shoes off dust your shoes off and put my shoes back on. I don't want to get this stinky in here. But you take your shoes off, you dust your shoes off, and you say, not as a sign of judgment, but as a sign of, I respect you, and I will not take anything that does not belong to me. And if you want nothing to do with me or this message that belongs to my Savior, God bless you. I'll, I'll quietly, lovingly, and prayerfully bow out from this situation but the reason why the Lord tells us also to dust our shoes off is because we can't carry residue with us to the next place we're going. We need to get that dust off our shoulders and say, we are on mission. We can't slow down. We can't take this personal. We have a mission, and that's to bring the gospel everywhere we go. So we shake the dust off, our, off of our feet. And he said this to so the disciples, and this is, are you a disciple of Jesus? I pray you are. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn towards God, the good news. Repent of your sins, turn towards God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. People come to me and say, Pastor, why don't we see that anymore? Why don't we see demons being cast out and people being healed? What's wrong with America, right? I'll say this. There is a order that we see there. The gospel is proclaimed first and then healings come later. Miraculous signs and wonders are a result of the faithful proclamation of the gospel. The reason why we don't see that stuff is because we have delineated the task of preaching the gospel to one person in the church. But if we all, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel horrible. Listen, that, that's not my heart. I love you. I pray for you. I care about you. You are my friends. But I'm just trying to say as a pastor, as someone who loves you, as someone who made the same decision to follow Jesus as you have, and if you haven't made that decision, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that decision today. But as someone who's made that same decision, we all have to preach the gospel. We all have to preach. We all have to share We all have to open up our mouths. The Bible says how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. We're carrying this everywhere we go. We are a church on mission. We don't come to be entertained. Listen, the donut wall is fun, but we don't just consume donuts. (laughs) That's fun and funny. Laugh. We share the gospel, all of us. Can we stand together? God, thank you so much. Lord, we stand firm, immovable. You have given us every victory. You've accomplished everything. You call us to stand firm, to not give ground, to to thwart the schemes of Satan as we wear the armor that belongs to you, the truth, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. And today we also put on the gospel, the shoes of the gospel of peace. You give us protection and peace. You've told us, my peace I give you, my peace I leave you. I do not give as the world gives, meaning I don't give with expectation or with strings attached, but I give freely. Father, may we be marked with a mission to preach your good news to those around us. May we understand that there is on the site, on the job training, That as we walk in mission, you will train us, empower us, that you will help us navigate the things that we are trying to work out beforehand. But while we are on mission, you work things out. So I pray, I challenge this church, my congregation, that you have given me, your church, your people. Father, may we this week have opportunity to bring the gospel. May we have testimony after testimony, celebration after celebration next week. May we have eyes wide open to see the places we need to carry your good news this week, today, tonight, right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, amen.